0: Our scripture reading will come from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 2 verses 18 through chapter 3 verse 22. Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 through 3:22. This section of text records messages to four of the seven churches in this circular letter that was given to John to deliver to the leadership or the messenger of the churches listed here. We begin in chapter 2, verse 18. The scriptures read, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds." And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, you have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have Hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Chapter 3, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things which remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would open our ears, that we might hear, and open the eyes of our heart once again, that we might see great and mighty things from thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I had begun this section on the seven churches of the book of Revelation. I had shared with you how i had had the opportunity over the, my sabbatical to visit a good number of churches in the area to see how many do things differently, some of them Good, some things not so good, and some things which I suppose many would debate over. But if you take it outside of our Western cultural context and had the opportunity to worship in various places in the world, from a a very formalized Anglican church overseas to a very non-formal worship service in prisons... Some worship in nice facilities. Others worship in mainly just a shelter without any walls or windows. Some have worship that is more formal, music that is more formal. Others have music in which they simply pull out their harps and drums and their unique instruments along with dancing and sometimes bellowing that come from the women when I was in Africa, for example. There's plenty that is written on the subject of worship and how it ought to be done, and how churches ought to function. And the question, even as we've looked at and seen, is the question of what is it that pleases God in his church? What is it that pleases God when he looks down at his church and examines what is happening within the church? Now, there's plenty that can be found within the New Testament epistles, many things that Paul has written in his corrective letters, instructions to the church. But here in this particular section of text, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are seven churches that are listed here, seven churches of which this letter will go, which God will either commend and or condemn various aspects within the church. And it is within these seven churches that we look at the profiles of these churches to look and see what is God pleased when he looks at these seven churches, what is God pleased with, and what displeases him. What is it that God displeases? That, that, that does not like about these churches? What is it that does not bring glory to God in these churches? As well as what does God smile upon in these seven churches? And the first churches that we looked at last week were the churches Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. At Ephesus, we saw that that church was a hardworking church. It was a persevering church. It was a church that was doctrinally pure. They examined the teaching that came in. They were very diligent people. They persevered, even though the work was difficult. But God had one thing against them that characterized this church, which was that it had lost its first love. It had lost its first love. Perhaps the most important ingredient in a church's life is that it be filled with people who genuinely love God. The first and greatest commandment for us is to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. And when that love of God is there, our desire is to bring glory and honor to God for all that he is and what he has done. The second church was the church we saw last week was a persevering church, that little church in Smyrna. Beautiful city, the city of Smyrna, but that little church was under perseverance They had persevered because of suffering. Suffering because they were persecuted, suffering because they were impoverished, but it was one of the two churches of which God has nothing to condemn them about. He commends them for the fact that they held fast to him. The third church... The church at Pergamum last week was the church that was found to be faithful, even unto death, but they also tolerated false teaching. They tolerated false teaching. In the days of Antipas, there was an event in which there was an individual named Antipas in that city of Pergamum, in which their faith, their faith was tested as to whether or not they truly believed and followed Christ, and they held fast, and for that, they were commended. They were willing to give their life even for the faith. But they were condemned because they had allowed false teaching to come into the church. And this week we look at the profiles of the last four churches, if the Lord grants to us time, of what God commends about these churches and what God condemns in these churches in order that we might see what pleases God in his church. So the first church we look at this morning that we continue on in our study is the church at Thyatira. The church at Thyatira, chapter 2, verse 18. This is the church that might be characterized as a church that tolerated sin. Pergamum was a church that tolerated false teaching. Here they tolerated sin. Tolerated sin that had come in because of false teaching. They were commended, first of all. In verse 19, it says, I know your to the Lord Jesus. And here he condemns this church for allowing sin to be perpetrated within the church. It is not that we never have people who are sinners in the church, of course, but those who propagate false teaching, those who continue and sin, no, that is not pleasing to God. That is not pleasing to God. This sort of thing can easily happen in today's church. Ideas are always swimming around, and it's desirous that we be discerning. So, this church, this first church, was pleasing to God in that their love motivated their service. Their faith was manifested by their perseverance, but they had allowed in false teaching. The second church that we look at this morning is the church at Sardis. The church at Sardis, the spiritually dead church. They are condemned, verse 1, they are spiritually dead. They are commended because there are a few, in verse 4, a few who were faithful and alive. The Wall Street Journal in their editorial opinion page a number of years ago had this written, quote, Europe's largest churches are often unused these days, reduced to monuments for tourists to admire. Practicing Christianity in Europe today enjoys a status not dissimilar to smoking marijuana. Few people mind if you do so in private but you're expected not to talk about it or ask others whether they do it too. Christianity is considered retrograde and atavistic in a progressive, quote-unquote, society devoted to the good life, long holidays, short work hours, and generous government benefits, unquote. That's how Europe is, and many of you perhaps have been there. You've seen the wonderful architecture, the stained glass windows, the high ceilings, and they are beautiful, but they're often empty. A congregation that might be the size of 30 to 40, 50 or so would be considered a good-sized church there. It would be because there is deadness in the spiritual life of many European churches. Now, granted, some churches are large, but many of The church buildings there are nothing more than monuments. And it sort of characterizes this particular city. Sardis was a beautiful city. It was one of the greatest cities of the ancient world. There was a river nearby the Sardis in which there was a lot of gold that was extracted from that river. Gold and silver coins were thought to be first minted at Sardis. And archaeologists have found a lot of treasures in which things were made of gold. They were a very wealthy city. They had a lot of good things. There were hot springs close to the city and people would go there to celebrate. It was believed that the gods manifested their power and gave life to the dead there. They had a name that they were alive. They had a name that they were alive. It says this in verse 1 though, I know your deeds. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Outwardly, they had a name. They had, they had these hot springs. People thought, the gods are here and they give us life. We feel so refreshed. We must be fine. But on the inside, there was nothing but rottenness and death. That's what we were before we came to Christ. That's what we were before we were saved. We were dead in our sins. And this church was dead, not because it was unenthusiastic, which it might have been, This church was a dead church because it was dominated by those who had no spiritual life. In other words, they were not believers. This church was a church full of tares. It was full of people, of phony wheat, of people who would go and play church, of people who would go there and yet do not know the Savior. Challenger magazine had an article in which it reads this. There are a number of people who may attend church but may not know God. Apparently, Dr. R. L. Hymers in his booklet, The Falling Away, provides the estimates from renowned evangelists and ministers. Dr. W. A. Criswell, former pastor of one of the largest churches in America, the flagship of the Southern Baptist Convention First Baptist Church in Dallas said, he would be surprised to see 25% of his members in heaven. The late Billy Graham estimated the percentage of lost people in evangelical churches to be 85%. And A.W. Tozer, who wrote The Knowledge of the Holy, puts that estimate at 90%. These are just guesstimates from people who have seen and been ministering the Word of God for many years. But there are many people who may be like that. When churches here, they come, but Is there real life? Is there genuine spiritual life? Or will in that day when we come before God's throne, Jesus says, as he did in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice wickedness. People can attend church, give lip service to the Lord, sing the songs, and yet not know Christ. One author writes, what are the danger signs that a church is dying? A church is in danger when it is content to rest on its past laurels, when it is more concerned with liturgical forms than Spiritual reality, when it focuses on curing social ills than changing people's hearts through the preaching of the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ, when it is more concerned with material things than spiritual things, when it is more concerned with what men think than what is said, when it is more enamored with doctrinal creeds and systems of theology than the Word of God or when it loses its conviction that every word of the Bible is the word of God himself. No matter what its attendance, no matter how impressive its buildings, no matter what its status in the community, such a church, having denied the only source of spiritual life, is dead, unquote. This was a dead church in Sardis. They are commended because there are a few who haven't soiled their garments. That's a metaphor. Garments in the Bible is used to refer to one's character, and soiled their garments refer to those who have kept themselves holy, kept themselves pure, are those who are set apart. They're commended because there are a few people, even within this dead church, that know God. A church can have a lot of programs, a beautiful building, lots of money, people who fill the pews and, and take part. But God is not impressed by stadiums that are filled to the brim of people who do not know him. He is impressed by those who do know him, who truly love him, who truly worship and serve him. And this church was a dead church. He's not pleased with a church that tolerates sin. He is pleased with a church that serves him because of love That perseveres because of their faith, and that is filled with genuine believers. Number three, the church at Philadelphia. This is the church that is faithful and obedient. The church that is faithful and obedient. Now, this church was the youngest of seven churches. It was founded by one of two kings of Pergamum. They were brothers. One of the kings was known as a as one who loved his brother, and so the. Nickname stuck, and this church became the church of city of, or the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. And it characterized this little church. It characterized this little church as only one out of the two churches of which the Lord says nothing negative about. Nothing negative is said about this church at Philadelphia, like the church at Smyrna. Smyrna was a persecuted church. This was a church that was characterized by positive things, four things in particular, spiritual power, obedience, loyalty, and patient endurance. Five of the seven letters are Christ's warning of judgment, and here is one of the two in which they are commended as a whole. He says, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power. Now when you look at that particular phrase, it might seem as a sort of a put down or something like uh, you have just a little power, so to speak, and how you say it, but it's put in a list of commendations here, and I think that it is better seen as a church that is a small church with limited influence. But what they did have, what they did have in that little power, they are commended for. They are commended for their influence, and it's not to fault them at all that they have little power. They are commended for that. So what they did have, they used for the glory of God. What they did have, they used in that power, and they're commended for that. Because oftentimes we can look at ourselves the same way, can't we? Who am I? I don't have the skills of the worship team, I don't have the skills of speaking, I can't teach, I, uh, whatever it might be, you know, God has granted to you gifts by which he uses in a unique way in the body of Christ to bless others. And oftentimes we get into this little comparison thing where we say, I have little power, I, you know, weak, weak little me. You know, often God uses the humble to shame the proud. He uses those who are simple to show God's power all the more. God can use those who are simple people. In fact, it is God who says in Ephesians 4.11, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And 1 Corinthians 12.7 tells us, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each one who is a part of the body of Christ, God has granted to you a spiritual gift that you might use them in your unique way to bless the body of Christ. And they were a faithful church who used what they had. They were a faithful church who used what they had. Secondly, they were an obedient church. They have kept his word. They have kept his word. The question for any church is this, are we biblical? Is this done according to the Word of God? Does this bring honor and glory to God? Is this faithful to the Word of God? Is it faithful and true? Because if we decide that we're not going to follow the Word of God, the opposite is that of rebellion, of rebellion, of rebellion to authority. God has called us to submit to the Word of God, to His authority, They were an obedient church. They were also a loyal church. They have not denied his name. They have not denied his name. They hadn't recanted their faith. They did not deny. They didn't revoke. They didn't rescind their allegiance to the Lord Jesus. And loyalty can be difficult to find these days, especially in our consumer-oriented culture in which there are many things that are found here, many options And things that distract us from Christ, they were loyal. They were loyal. They weren't some fair-weather fan. When things were going rough, they didn't run away. There's a temptation like that. All sorts of things might draw us away from our singular loyalty to Christ. Fourthly, they were patiently enduring. They had kept the word of my perseverance. And the New Testament, NIV draws that idea out. You have kept my word to endure patiently, to endure patiently. They endured the hardships, the work, patiently, faithfully. Tim Hansel, in his book, Holy Sweat, he writes about a man named Clarence Jordan. Clarence Jordan was a man who had a number of unusual abilities, and his commitment was astounding. He had two doctorates, two PhDs, one in agriculture, and one in Greek and Hebrew. He was very gifted, and he could have chosen anything that he wanted to do, but he chose to serve the poor. And back in the 1940s, he had founded a farm in Americus, Georgia, and it was called Koinonia Farm. It was a community for those who were poor, those who were poor whites, those who were poor blacks. As you might guess, back in the 1940s, that didn't go over well. That did not go over well in the Deep South at all. And much of the resistance at that time, ironically, came from people who were in the church, who had followed the laws of segregation like many of the other folks in town, and the people tried everything to stop Clarence from having this farm in which he would care for the poor in an integrated kind of a culture. Over and over again, over the course of some 14 years, they tried to stop him in various ways. And finally, in 1954, after some 14 years, finally the Ku Klux Klan came. They had enough of him. And so they decided to get rid of him once and for all. And they came one night with their guns. They came one night with their torches. And they set a fire. fire, Every building on that farm, except for his home, which they riddled with bullets. And they chased off all the families, all the families, except one black family who refused to leave. Clarence recognized the voices of many of those Klansmen, knowing, having known the people in the town. Some of them were church people. And another one was a a newspaper reporter he recognized. It was the next day that that reporter came out I came out to see what remained of the farm, and everything was still smoldering. Still smoldering, and he found Clarence. He was working in the field. He was hoeing. He was planting. And he said to Clarence, I heard the awful news. and I came along to do a story on the tragedy of your farm and its closing. And he kept on hoeing and planting. The reporter kept on prodding, poking, trying to get a response from him trying to get him to be upset. But he seemed to continue to plant rather than packing his bags, and so finally the reporter said in a proud voice, Well, Dr. Jordan, you've got two of them PhDs. You've got but 14 years in this farm, and there's nothing left of it. Just how successful do you think you've been? And He stopped hoeing, and he turned towards the reporter with his eyes, which were blue, and he said, quote, About as successful as the cross, sir, I don't think you understand us. We are all about, not what is success, but faithfulness. We're staying. Good day. And he and his friends rebuilt that farm, Quirinia Farm, and that became the inspiration for an organization which many of you have heard about, called Habitat for Humanity. Habitat for Humanity provides thousands of low-income homes for families throughout the U.S., affordable houses and churches and community groups. Even in our area, they provide housing for people, and today Habitat for Humanity has built more than 225,000 houses around the world, provided housing for more than a million people, all because of an individual who is more about faithfulness than success in the world's eyes. It's easy not to persevere when times get tough and to leave Christ when he disappoints, seemingly because he doesn't meet our expectations. Only in his timing, only in his plan, only in his way, we're simply called to be a faithful church like the church at Philadelphia, to use what power God has granted to us to be obedient, to be loyal and to patiently endure even when there's difficulties, and to continue to plant. The last church that is listed here in verse 14 through 22 is the church at Laodicea. This particular church receives a letter that is perhaps the most condemning of all of the seven churches. Of all of the seven churches, there is generally something positive about them, but this one has nothing that the Lord commands. And it's important to know a little bit about this church and its background in that area because this church was in, a, in the last of the seven churches. This, this particular area of the world, it would have gone and been read to them last, but it's important to understand something about this city. Because this city was located in what was known as the Lycus Valley, and there was a triad city, sort of a three cities. There was a Laodicea, and there was Colossae, and then there was Hierapolis. Colossae is the city by which the book of Colossians is written to. And it was strategically surrounded by mountains, and it did, though, have a great weakness. And that weakness was that it was dependent upon others for its water source. It didn't have its own water source, and so its water source needed to come underground or, or by this, uh, uh, this aqueduct that they had built several miles away. And by the time the water reached this city, the city at Laodicea, which was miles away, the water was tepid, it was yucky, it was lukewarm. But it's important for us to understand, too, within this city, the reasons why Jesus states his condemnation to them here. The city was a major commercial center. And trade was conducted in this particular center because one of the products within the city was this uh, well, uh, this uh, high-quality, glossy black wool that they had. Okay? For local use, for trade, they had this glossy black wool. And it's also well known the city for its medical school because there was a man named the man named Hierapolis actually uh, Hierophilus, who who propagated this idea and, and, and sort of had this uh, this uh, treatment for eye eye injuries or eye care and they developed this what they called the Phrygian powder in which they would mix it and they would use it as an eye salve for eye as an eye ointment. So they had this glassy black wool, they had this medical school in which they were well known for their eye salve, and they were also a center for commercial trade. A lot of finances went through here. When things were were difficult or whatnot, they were able to rebuild the city when there was an earthquake. They had money, they had wool, they had eye salve. They had their clothes, they had their health, they had their wealth. But this is what Jesus says to them. Because you are lukewarm, verse 15, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It is a parallel in a, to, to their water, to their water that would come in. They would know what it is like. It's not hot, not like Hierapolis, which had some hot springs, not like Colossae, which was known for its cold, refreshing water. No, that city, the third city, this city at Laodicea, had water that would come in from miles away, it would be lukewarm. Literally, Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And here he also says to them, because you say, verse 17, I am rich. They thought they had a great commercial center. They said to themselves, I'm rich. I have need of nothing. But you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and blind and poor and naked. In their smug self-righteousness, they thought, we're well off. We're well clothed because look, we have this black wool. We can see, look, we're known for our eye salve. Look, we're fine. We're not miserable at all. We have all that we need. And their self-sufficient pride, they were smug. And Jesus tells them, he tells them, look, come. You come to me and you get real Gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, verse 18, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and your eyes salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. They thought they were fine. They thought they had everything that they needed. But God looks at their life, neither hot nor cold, but they were lukewarm. They were unsaved. Many of them were unsaved. They, they, they were a, a church that didn't have any love for God. I think the metaphor there has been to those who were, who were hot or cold, meaning that those who knew what condition they were in, those who were truly saved and those who were not. Whatever it was, the metaphor has is that Jesus condemns them for their lack of love for God. Their lack of their passion for God, which comes out of a genuine heart for God. It may not have been an outward denial, and outward antagonism towards God, but it was an inward denial, an inward rejection. And sometimes those are the hardest people to reach, the people who are self-deceived, who think, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm a good person, I have everything that I need. Why do I need God? I don't see my desperate need of God. I don't see my own sin. I'm not such a bad person, etc., etc. And people who do not see their need are in a worse position than those who do see and say you know what I don't know God and I know it they see their true condition here they're self deceived and God condemns them nothing good to say about this church so what kind of church pleases God what kind of church when God looks down at his church what pleases God He doesn't want a church like Thyatira that tolerates sin, though he commends them for their faithful service and their perseverance. He doesn't want a church that is spiritually dead, like both Laodicea or Sardis, even though there were a few in Sardis that did believe. But he does want and approve of a faithful and obedient church like Philadelphia, a church that used whatever gifts and power that they had for his glory, a church that was obedient, a church that was loyal, a church that patiently endured, or a church like Ephesus that loved, that, 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 that was hardworking, though they had lost their first love, a church like Smyrna, Smyrna, who persevered even under persecution, Pergamum, that was faithful to the Lord in many ways, when God looks at a church, how does He evaluate a church? He evaluates it, and these are the things that He commends, and these are the things that He condemns. He doesn't look and say, "How organized is the nursery, or what is the music like, or what is the what is the, the children's ministry, or whatever it might be." He looks at these first. Granted, many things are important in the church. The Lord has given us many instructions in the epistles. But I pray that we might be a church that loves God first, is obedient, faithful, loyal, and will endure until he comes again. For he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. For we desire, Lord, to be a church that pleases you, to be a people who please you, and a church is full of people, and I pray, God, that you would incline our hearts to desire to be pleasing to you in all of our ways, that as a body, the body of Christ, you might look down with favor upon this church. In Jesus' name, amen.